Good morning. It is good to worship with you. Uh, a couple items before we dive in, dive in, just by way of reminder. Uh, yes, there is a congregational meeting tonight uh, at 6 p.m. If you are not a member or a visitor, or you just want to know what Christian love looks like in the midst of an annual meeting, we invite you to come. I don't believe in meetings, by the way. I believe in celebrations. I'll be there with a big foam finger. Uh, just celebrating God's kindness to us this past year. Hope you can be there. Uh, the second thing I just want to bring to your attention that's a resource to us as a family is after each service, we have a prayer corner here in the sanctuary. We intentionally design time and space for brothers and sisters, for people in our community to come. And sometimes we just need someone to talk to, someone that will hear us, someone that will pray for us. So if you have a desire uh, to pray with someone who would care for you well. Please take advantage of that. Well, we continue a fresh look at the letter of James in our series, Faith in Action. And I'll ask that you grab a copy of the scriptures, if you haven't already, and turn to James 1. We'll be in verses 19 through 27. And our sermon title this morning is this, Hearing, Hearing Means Doing. And uh, some of my children likely have forgotten, perhaps not the older ones. But there was a season some years ago when I was learning Greek and Hebrew, and my kids were in the throes of learning Latin in their own education. And I had the clever idea, well, I thought it was clever. I had the clever idea that I would teach them some basic declensions and syntax and vocabulary of my languages, you know, to train them. I mean, to be a little snobby, maybe, but, but to help me in my learning. And, uh, well, it was a beautiful failure on my part. The grand vision was met with the stark reality of what we call the real world. And uh, they were taught nothing from their father. <laughs> with exception, with exception of one phrase that survived. Now, I had come home one day, and this will shock all the parents in this room. I had come home one day to find out that my children had not been listening well to my wife, their mother. Shocked to hear this. My children learned this important phrase that became a mantra in our home, at least for a season. Akuo, hupakuo. I hear, I obey. That's what that means. I hear, I obey. The underlying lesson and expectation was this. If you hear your mother, you will listen and obey. There's no category for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard you, but I've got other plans. No category for that. It was to hear. It was to accept and follow. Now, I, won't, I hope you won't assume the worst of me as I share this story um, you know, it's not as harsh as it may sound. There, there is grace for failure. There is grace in the midst of disobedience and having just a bad day. But it created a category in my children's minds that should be true of any faithful follower of Christ. As we discovered early in chapter 1 last week, the letter of James, my friends, is one of action. 
Last week, James encouraged us to take action by pursuing joy. We don't wait for joy to come. We don't hope and dream upon a star that joy will find its way to us, but rather we pursue it. We're commanded to. This week, our main idea and action is centered on James' plain teaching. It is so plain. His plain, obvious teaching that faithful followers of Christ respond. True Christians respond. Like a parent trying to care for their child, the Old Testament and the New, obviously James included, has the expectation that the people of God, those who profess to be faithful followers of Christ, they will hear and obey. They will respond. The Scriptures were never intended to merely be a recommendation a collection of truths that you simply affirm, or even just the revelation of God's character. As we will see in our passage this morning, the Scriptures were always intended to be a call to hear and to respond to the character of God and the commands that He would give us. So James lays out in our text three ways faithful followers of Christ respond and take action. The first is we repent and believe. Would you read with me, please, verses 19 through 21? Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. <laughs> Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So off the heels of commanding us to pursue joy in the midst of trials and temptations, we are commanded to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. This is a timely word for us, just as it was in the first century. Okay, maybe the first century didn't have Twitter and Facebook, uh, but they themselves were slow to hear and quick to speak. And many times I observe people uh, even today, not even allowing someone to finish their sentence. Someone's talking, yeah, 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 yeah. And, and as soon as they're done talking, they, they're, they're in or they interrupt. They won't even let them finish their thought. People jump in and are fast to speak and cut others off. We are angry also. Oh, we're angry. Hangry too. Some of you haven't had breakfast this morning. We're angry when the circumstances, trials, temptations, and the preferences we have, well, when they're put before us, and the reality put before us is not what we want, well, we're unhappy. And our slow hearing and our fast talking, well, it often leads to anger, doesn't it? We're reminded that anger does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, that, that's not a statement that regards or points to earning your way to salvation and righteousness. Well, I'll, I'll not be angry, so I'll be saved. That's not what James is saying. But rather, James is saying 
that it's a statement of what it produces. Uh, anger is not a product, rather, of righteous living. Anger is not a product of walking with Jesus. Anger is not a product of believing that Jesus is enough and that you've been changed in your heart by the gospel. If you're angry, well, James says you have an issue. But James, well, he is a human and a pastor. He knows we fail in this. He knows we often choose the unrighteous response to trials and to people, and we're often angry. Well, what is the remedy to that anger? How do we respond? Well, we repent and believe. Look again at verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Now, that word, put away, some of you may have translations that say get rid of or put aside. It's a call to repentance. It's a call for change. It's a call to respond. It's a call to live out what we read last week in verse 18. That we've been brought forth in God's will by the word of truth. We've been changed. We've been given grace. And we have a new life in Christ. Now, it's easy to read verse 21. It is for me, at least. And read verse 21 and say, well, I've done that. I've done that. I've been saved. I've been born again. I've become a believer. Jesus is enough. I did repent and put away and believe and receive the word. I've done that. No. No, no, no. James is writing to believers. He's writing to Christians. We're not simply to repent once. It's not that we put off filthiness and wickedness and evil and sin when God converted us. We do it continually. Even the phrase that James chooses to put away, even that phrase itself, it's a participle. It's a, it's a continual action, an ongoing action, he says. It has no end date. And my friend, if you are a Christian, you have no end date to putting away and putting off and getting rid of sin in your life. So brothers and sisters, repent. Put away, get rid of your anger. Set aside your lust and greed, your pride, your frustration and discontentment. It is not to characterize our living as faithful followers of Christ. <laughs> and I think this is a good time for us just to be reminded of the distinction that the Scriptures make time and time again of the law and the gospel. The law, any command, whether it be Old Testament or New Testament, says this is what you must do. That's the law. That's the command. And James, he gives us a command. He gives us a law to follow. And we say, okay, James, I hear you. I'm to put away. I'm to not be angry. I'm to, you know, put aside evil and wickedness. I hear you. But, but James, your command and law that you're giving me, I lack the ability to carry it out. I see in me an angry heart. I see in me moral filth, evil, and wickedness. And, and, 
I've tried. I've tried really hard. And it's still there. It's been years. And then we start asking this question. Well, am I really a Christian? Am I really growing in the Christian life? See, the law weighs heavy on us because of our inability, or let's be honest, oftentimes our lack of desire to follow it. That's the law. And now, if that's the law, what about the gospel? If the law says, this is what you must do, the gospel says, this is what God has done for you in Christ. In the law, we see our inability. In the gospel, we see Christ's perfect work for you, Christian. If you are new here, or considering Christianity, or you've been a faithful follower who has who forgotten, perhaps, Jesus' perfect sinless life, His sacrificial death, and His literal, physical resurrection from the grave, from the dead, This is the work and the good news of what God has done on our behalf. Jesus upheld the law for us. This is where we respond by believing. See, James, in our passage, uses the language in verse 21 to receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Here's a helpful word from one writer. He says this, He... James, he wants to focus attention on a more basic issue than adopting a new code of behavior. He wants the influence of God's word to produce a new kind of behavior. We are not, brothers and sisters, we are not talking about trying harder. We're talking about God supernaturally changing our hearts and our behavior through His Word, by His Spirit. If you're a parent, the last thing you want is your children to be moral. No. The last thing you want for your life is to be a moral person. No. James says the Scriptures teach that the Christian religion The relationship that we have in Jesus is a supernatural one. And one in which we are given laws and commands. And we say, I can't. I need Christ. And he takes his implanted word to our souls and saves us and changes us. The word of God, my friends, as we receive it, as we respond and believe in it, it saves our souls, not just for someday in heaven, But as Paul said in Galatians, it saves us from the present evil age. So as we respond in faith, as we remember that we've been brought forth by the word, as we recognize that we've been given new hearts with the word written on our conscience and hearts, we will be saved from anger, moral filth and the evil that tempts our hearts to chase self in the world rather than Christ. Lakewood, will we respond? Will we be continual repenters and believers? Will we receive the word of God 
trust in Christ's work on our behalf? Will we turn from anger and whatever else is hiding in our hearts? Well, I have the answer for you. The answer is yes. Yes, we will. Because it's not us that's doing it. It's the Spirit of God. By His grace, you are growing and have been growing in repenting and believing and putting away and submitting yourself and loving the Word of God. God help us to do it even more. We take action, don't we? We don't just sit. We respond. And we respond not just by repenting and believing, but also by trusting and obeying. Would you read with me, please, verses 22 through 25? But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, He's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. It's verse 22 that's the most alarming to me, (laughs) as I read it personally this week. I don't like verse 22. Verse 22 is alarming to me because there is a deception, James says. Not with those people out there, not with unbelievers. There's a deception with faithful followers in their minds and hearts, in, in some of our minds and hearts. There's a deception, as we will see, that leads us to at times believe that our hearing God's word will bring blessing. That simply hearing of God's word is equivalent to doing and acting and responding. That's a deception, James says. So here's an example that we used last week. Imagine I asked my daughter to take out the trash. Sweetie, sweetie, would you, would you please? That's how I usually say. Sweetie, would you please? And, well, later that day, I see and smell that the task had not been completed. And what if, in the interrogation that follows, she explained to me that when I asked her to take out the trash, she had prayed about it. And she not only prayed about it, She got a little group of her teenage friends together and they did a study on what it means to take the trash out. Uh, Sounds all very spiritual. And on top of that, she took some of those language lessons seriously and she can now say, take out the trash in three biblical languages. What would my response be as her father? Well, we're in church, I can't say. But the PG version would be something like this. My child, you are deceived. You are deceived. You have equated hearing with doing. 
All, all the gymnastics, praying about it, having a little study on what it means to take the trash out, learning the languages, all that gymnastics, it means for nothing. You've misunderstood the command. You've done nothing. Brothers and sisters, are we any different? Am I any different? James suggests, no, we're not. We are to respond to the words we read and hear by trusting and obeying. Now, James, he used an illustration that we read depicting two men. Two men who both look into the mirror of God's word and they both have a different response. As we read, one man looks intently, leaves, and forget what he saw. Well, the other man looks, perseveres, and acts on what he has seen. And we could parse the illustration and stretch it out if we wanted, uh, examining how the first man looked at his natural face and the other man looked at the law. But eh, I don't know. I mean, you could make the argument that the Word of God is a mirror that shows us our natural sin and self as well as the character of God. We could stress that first century mirrors looked how they looked and how maybe muddy the reflection was and how intently you had to look at it. But I'm not convinced that ultimately these proved to be critical pieces to understanding what James is trying to convey. What is the significant difference between the two men? James tells us that the first man was a hearer only, while the second man was a doer. See, it wasn't that one man was more spiritually minded than the other, necessarily. We shouldn't assume that one read the right passage out of the right translation and that the other did not. It wasn't that one read in the morning and the other at lunchtime. Or that one used a podcast app to hear the audio and the other used the devotional book. The significant difference between these two men was their response to what they saw. One trusted and obeyed, and the other did not. And it is, it is a matter of trust. As you saw in our announcements, we on Wednesday night have this FAQ, Faithfully Asked Questions, and our men and women this week wrestled with what our posture towards Scripture should be. And the scriptures again and again and again teach us that our posture, among many other things, is to be one of trust, a trusting of the scriptures. Trust and obedience are intimately connected. Here's a question. Why did the second man in James' illustration here, the second man who looked at the mirror of God's word, why did he act? He acted because he trusted that what he read was true. That if God truly is the sovereign creator of the world, if God's character is holy, good, perfect, if we indeed are flawed, sinful, and wayward, well, if we trust those things, if we really believe those things, we will act. We will cling to Christ. We will follow God's commands on our life because we trust what it says. 
if you are a hearer only and not a doer, you are not trusting what God's Word says. It's hard to follow God in His commands if you don't trust what His Word says. It's hard to trust that if we obey Him, it will not only honor Him, but bring blessing to our life as we're connected to Christ. You know, the children's song is really profound. There's a, there's a song for this I've heard. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. That's how we respond, Lakewood. We trust and obey. So as you read God's word this week, perhaps you read that being a faithful spouse with our words, actions, and thoughts, well, that, that's honoring. It has fruit. Well, if I read that, I'm, I'm going to trust it and obey it. Uh, kids, how about you? What if you read being a respectful and obedient child will bring joy and blessing to your life? I know your parents don't deserve it. But as you read it, Will you trust it and obey it? When we read that we are to be generous with our time, money, and resources, and that it's honoring for the gospel to go out in our community to the ends of the earth, do, do we trust that? Do we obey it? When God's word says that being saturated in God's truth will satisfy, do you really trust that? If you do, you'll believe it. You'll obey it. When God's word says that being in Christ will enable us to produce fruit, do you trust that? If so, you will obey the commands of God. God help us, brothers and sisters, to respond to God's word by repenting and believing, by trusting and obeying, and lastly, responding as we guard and Protect. Would you read with me verse 26 and 27? If anyone, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. These verses serve as an introduction to much of the next chapters that we'll be covering in the following weeks as we go through James. And, well, I, I think James wants us to, he wants us to get one thing really clear from these Listen, true religion, true religion is one that responds, that does, and acts. And in a tangible way, true religion is one that guards and protects. Religion isn't a word that we like. We don't like that word. Often, well-meaning faithful followers will say, Christianity is a relationship, not a religion. Well, that's not completely accurate, at least according to James. While we in the world may have negative connotations toward religious ceremony, tradition, rituals, prayer, certainly hypocrisy, there is a pure practice of religion based on a relationship with Christ. 
that gives true evidence to being a faithful follower of Christ. So in these verses, James points us to three examples of guarding and protecting. We guard and protect our tongues, the vulnerable in our community, and our own hearts from the world. All drive home this basic reality. True religion is not bound up in what you think or what you make mental assent toward. It is confirmed by your actions. So chew on these with me for a moment, please. If your sarcasm isn't funny, but cutting, your religion is worthless. If you claim Christ, but choose sexual sin like the world, your religion is worthless. If you are not generous with your time and money to care for the needy, your religion is worthless. If your tongue isn't controlled and you are critical in your words, your religion is worthless. If you've bought into the polarization, them versus us, that is so prevalent in our world, your religion is worthless. If you are slow to listen, quick to speak and quick to anger, your religion is worthless. If you don't tangibly guard and protect all life made in God's image, your religion is worthless. As many, uh, as you, many of you are aware, yesterday was the annual recognition of the sanctity of life. It's a day of sanctity and celebration in our country. And in God's providence, I didn't plan this, in God's providence, he brought us to this passage on this Sunday. True religion, faithful followers of Christ, look at verse 26 and understand the implications of responding, of guarding and protecting is communicating, advocating, and tangibly showing care and value to vulnerable people in our communities. Whether rich or poor, white or black, American or non-American, Republican or Democrat, old or unborn, all life, all life is precious. All life is made in God's image. Any attack on a life is an attack on the image of God. My friends, this is not a political issue. This is a biblical one. While it is appropriate for us to commend and celebrate the laws and documents of our country when they align with biblical truth, it is, I'm going to say, it is appropriate to commend and celebrate the laws and documents of our country when they align with biblical truth. But we do not value life because of them. Faithful followers of Christ do not march because of the founding principles of our country. Faithful followers of Christ do not foster and adopt children because of a policy. We do not care for a woman who finds herself pregnant and scared because it's been dictated by some legislator. No. Faithful followers of Christ respond, guard, and protect 
because of the natural implication of a changed heart. Because as James says, we've been brought forth by the Word. We've had the Word implanted into our souls. We've been changed by Christ and His Gospel. We display the fruits of the Spirit. We trust God in the midst of trials and temptations. We are not merely hearers, but we are doers of God's Word. And the natural implication of all those things is that we would guard and protect and that we would obey the two greatest commandments that our Lord Jesus Christ gave to us. To love God and to love our neighbor. To guard and protect them. So if I haven't already, let me step on your toes. When you watch pornography, you contribute to a culture that promotes rape, the abuse of vulnerable men and women, and abortion. When you judgmentally ignore a single mother or father, you are failing to meet them in their affliction. When you fail to show care and concern for a widow, even months and years after the loss of a loved one, your religion is worthless. When you view children as an interruption to your life and plans, you buy into the same worldly mindset that chooses to get rid of them. When you look at an elderly person nearing the end of life as an inconvenience, and you fail to see them as an image bearer of God the Creator, you contribute to a culture that promotes and celebrates a push to a policy of euthanasia. Whether it be abortion or any practice that shows little to no value of human life made in God's image, when we practice these things, our religion is worthless, fake, inauthentic, unbiblical, my friends. Here's the reality brothers and sisters. We are all guilty of practicing a worthless religion. We are all guilty in some way of not guarding and protecting life, of not trusting and obeying, of not repenting and believing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, but the, them over there, they, they don't value life. And could we be honest for a moment and confess that perhaps we have valued life in our thoughts, in our hearing, and with our lips, but not with our actions. And we may be defensive in our heart, but if we simply hear God's word on the value of life, but we don't act on it, then we are part of the problem. <laughs> but, but... There is good news. There is good news. Jesus has fulfilled this command on our behalf. He always valued life. His religion was always pure. He always guarded and protected. He didn't just hear. He was a doer. He acted. Jesus lived a sinless life on our behalf and he died in our place. So when we come to these commands, 
these expectations on our life to respond. And whether we've failed in the past or we are currently failing now, Jesus died and rose again to give new life, forgiveness, and a heart that joyfully follows the commands of God. He has aimed and worked and initiated so that we would have a heart that joyfully takes action and responds. In Jesus Christ, we have forgiveness. And by His Spirit, we have not just forgiveness, but the power of God to be faithful. The power of God to be faithful to a better way. A way that doesn't merely hear the Word of God. But a way that does and obeys and follows the Word of God. That is grace, my friends. That is grace. Faithful followers of Christ, they respond. Would you pray with me that God would help us to respond this week? Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, lifting high his name, celebrating his name, clinging to that name because it is in the name of Jesus that we have access and forgiveness and peace. And while we may have failed at times in our life to respond, to repent and believe, to trust and obey, perhaps, Lord, we have failed to even guard and protect. Lord, there are many in our communities, in our families, in our workplaces, our friends, who struggle with deep, dark guilt and pain and suffering. Oh God, that we would know, that they would know the rescue of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That we would be reminded that in the light of commands of Scripture, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. There is grace and enablement. So, Father, yes, we do confess in imperfect obedience to you. And we confess and hope and trust that you will change us, that you will empower us to respond, to be doers and not just hearers. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.